I'm back in plenary session, virtual edition. I'm joined by Gil Welsh. Dr. Gil Welsh should need no introduction. He is a uh, spectacular professor. He is somebody who I've admired for many, many years, my whole career, actually, since I started medical school in 2005. Dr. Welsh took a topic, I think, that was really hard to talk about, which is that in our pursuit of cancer screening, is it possible that we're doing some harm to people. And he took that topic, which I think was 100% taboo, maybe 20, 30 years ago, and very tough to talk about and turned it into something that is something we can talk about all the time and have a more reasoned discussion about, at least some of us. Um, and he did so through, I think, the the power of research and publishing dozens of really high impact papers. Um, Dr. Welsh, it's a pleasure to have you back on the show. It, it's great to be with you. Sorry, sorry, I'm not there in person. Oh, that would be, you know, obviously in person is better. You know, we were just talking about it before we got started. The, you know, and I remember when you came and gave a lecture at OHSU, we invited you out to give a lecture. That and was I had a, a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. I had a student come to me afterwards. And, um, well, 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 one, I have to tell you, ever since I saw your lecture, it really made me rethink my lectures because I felt like, you know, it, your lecture was terrific. The student came to me after the lecture and I said, you know, did you, I, I told him to come to Gil Welch's lecture. It's going to be a good lecture. And he said, uh, it, it was, it was the greatest lecture. And I said, it was a great lecture. That's right. He said, no, it was literally the greatest lecture I've ever been to. And so it let, you know, it left a mark on him. And why was it so great? I think, you know, you knew what your message was. That was the starting point. And it was based on, you know, a lot of great papers, but then the way you delivered it, um, it, you know, it was funny. It was engaging. It was entertaining. It drew in the audience. It had all those sort of features of a terrific lecture and ever since then I've always tried to do better in my own lecturing having seen a great lecture um, but when you do it on zoom it's not the same Dr. no, Walsh. Yeah. no. It, 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 and of course um, I think it's important to have fun yes um, I think that's important part of communicating particularly uh, in, in person um, to connect with an audience and I've always felt that way about teaching if you're not having fun you know if you're not interested in what right. you're talking about why the hell would the students ever be interested <laughs> so you got you got to be genuinely interested in what you talk about and, and I think it's just, it's good to have fun boy, it's hard to do that on Zoom. I mean, we're, we're going to have some fun here this afternoon. <laughs> we will try to. We will yeah, try to. Yeah. But you're absolutely right. It's very hard to have that. Um, <laughs> have fun on Zoom. Have fun on Zoom. Really? <laughs> <laughs> it's like what, what we'll Zoom's not meant for. We'll do our best, though. <laughs> so let's talk about, you know, there's so many things you've been working on the last couple of years. Why don't we start with your New England Journal melanoma paper? And so I thought this was really interesting. And, um, you know, this is sort of based on a lot of the work you've been doing, which is looking at the SEER database, and you follow trends in incidence and death. And one of the very interesting things when you look at medicine, when you look at melanoma, the incidence of making a diagnosis of melanoma, that's on a roller coaster up, 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 Six up, fold. up, up, up. Yeah. Six, Six fold, fold since 1975. But death per 100,000 age adjusted is as flat as it comes. So two possibilities. Yeah. Yeah. Perfectly flat. Two possibilities where every year we diagnose more cancer and we get proportionately good at treating, keeping just that death, right you know, just the right amount of improvements just in treatment. Right yeah. <laughs> Not too much or mortality would fall as it has, by the way, just to get out the last yeah. few years. And that's great. Yeah. That has nothing to do with early detection. That has to do with better treatment. And you know I a lot so. more about those checkpoint inhibitors than I do. But um, mortality has gone down the last few years, um, and that's an advancement in treatment. That, that's great. But for 
40 years, we've had basically stable mortality. It's up a little bit in uh, older men, uh, totally flat in women, but we've had this incredible surge, uh, uh, sixfold in, in melanoma incidence. And that's it's, remarkable. It's remarkable. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I guess your piece brought together a bunch of divergent um, data to make the argument that the only thing that explains a sixfold increase in finding a cancer with absolutely flat mortality until the advent of checkpoint inhibitors, the only thing that explains that is you're finding things that had you never found, they never would have gone to lymph nodes, they never would have spread to the lung, and they never would have killed you. Yeah. If you had just left them alone, you'd have lived your whole life and you never would have known. You're, you're beginning to identify a whole new population of tumors, the biology, biology of which you know nothing about, um, except we now have good evidence it's not killing people. Mm. You know... Um, it's a, so it's really an important finding. And um, talk a little bit about what the pathologist sees under the microscope, because you had a really interesting, I think, subpart of your essay where you talked about the pathologist and how the pathologist may be contributing to this problem as well. Absolutely. And, and, and to be fair, uh, we may be asking pathologists to do an impossible mm. task, right? You, you know, we've, we've always, you know, if I can just step back, you, you know, what, when we originally were sending them tumors that we could hold in our hands, you know, mm -hmm. the sides of baseballs that surgeons were removing at, at autopsy, you know, there wasn't a lot of debate about what it was. You had a, the clinical setting was such, you know, th this is aggressive cancer. It's large, it's spread, so forth. And their, you know, histopathology, you know, only confirmed what, what, what physicians well, we already uh, knew. Mm -hmm. so, sort of knew at the bedside. But as we start sending them smaller and smaller um, uh, lesions, um, you know that 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 we've discovered um, a number of problems arise. You know that 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 they they may still look like they have some abnormality in cellular architecture or in the individual cells, uh, you know, uh, <clears throat> and and so forth. But that may not have any bearing on the actual dynamics of the process of, of, of what will happen in the future. And um, so the pathologic gold standard, you know, questions are, are, are they're legitimate questions about what it means. Um, and um, of course, they're all um, very concerned about, quote, missing a cancer. So if anything, their standards are falling over mm -hmm. time. And we give a little example of that. Right. Um, and and I, I think the reality is uh, that, they, that, they, that they, they can't tell us what clinicians want to know. Is this a cancer that's going to matter to someone? And, and so we may be asking them to do something that they just can't do. And that's just added a whole new layer of uncertainty as we start uh, finding things uh, in really early stages. And that's happening across cancers. And of course, the other thing that happens is it begins to really matter who your pathologist is. <laughs> and different pathologists will say uh, different things. And uh, that was actually very well demonstrated in melanoma with the NIH consensus conference in the 80s where they sent out a bunch of different, uh, uh, a bunch of slides to different pathologists mm -hmm. and got a bunch of different answers. That's fascinating. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think what you're talking about is something that's happened in so many places in medicine, which is 50 years ago, 
the entity we cared about was a clinical entity. The patient has died of metastatic melanoma, and then the doctor's looking, and he's like, this is what it looks like when they die. Or a patient had pulmonary embolism. Why? Because they had bulging neck veins, and they had shortness of breath, and crushing chest. Crushing chest, yeah. Yeah. And and that's what a PE means, and it's highly lethal. But now we get a scanner that can find a PE so small, smaller than your fingertip in the distant part of the lung. And we treat it the same way as we treated that person, you know, and now we find a melanoma so small, it's like that, it's like a mole on your, on your hand. And they look at the margin and they find it's melanoma, it's invading. And we treat it the same and we think it's the same thing. Um, And then Mm -hmm. the last thing I'll tell you is like, um, you know, they've done blind biopsies of the esophagus in healthy people. And they find a lot of the mutations you find in esophageal cancer. Right. So- you know, the visual appearance of a tumor on histopathology, the genomic information in a tumor, we have always assumed that this is the demarcation between healthy and disease. And we'll, but it, and we'll tell us the natural history. Yeah, and we'll tell us the natural history. And right. but, it, it, but we just don't know. We've never really sampled the denominator. Right. And, and, and this, is, this is a general problem, I'd say, that sort of happened over the course of my career of, you, you know, uh, so, so I've been interested in the problem of diagnosis. You know, yes. most health, I'm a health services researcher for lack of a better term. Um, and most health services researchers focus on the question of treatment. And, and that's of course really important. Who gets treatment, does the treatment work and so forth. But the only way you get to treatment is through diagnosis. So I've been sort of interested in that upstream step of diagnosis. And, and of course, in the past, a diagnosis was made in someone that, that came to you. And they came to you because something was wrong, something was bothering. Um, and, 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 and what makes screening so different and incidental detection is, is here you're dealing with asymptomatic people. And that's a whole different group of people. Um, and you're looking hard to see if there's something wrong with them. Well, you may find the same things you do in the symptomatic person, but it means something totally different. Right. You already mm-hmm. have some additional piece of information. And I think that's subtlety. And that, that goes right through to the, your pulmonary embolism example to a cancer example. That subtlety is often ignored. And, and so, I, you know, one of my general comments to physicians is, you know, don't forget about symptoms. They, they really uh, contribute important information. I think that's a brilliant point. And I, I want to. It's brilliant. It's an obvious point. It's some well, level, it's but, obvious but, but to some people, but not to others. To, particularly when you're talking to medical students, you have to remember, wait, 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 how's the patient feel? It, it also matters. Pathology matters based on how you found it. So we know yes. a lot about prostate cancer cores when taken in a blind biopsy. Mm-hmm. Now people do an MRI and they point the needle at the thing they want to hit. And so now they're saying, oh, we'll use the same interpretation. If you find a core full of seven or a core full of eight, it'll mean this. But it's different. Now you're pointing at what you want to hit. And so what you're doing is you're taking a lot of people who hitherto were sevens, you're making them eights. Or hitherto mm. were sixes, you're, ma- you know, you're, you're upstaging people. You don't right. see what you're doing because you're aiming. You didn't right. aim before. Right. Um, I got to ask you about COVID-19 then because it's a diagnostic question as well. You know, obviously early in the pandemic, it was clear people came in very sick and then they were diagnosed. And if anything, they weren't adequately diagnosed. But now it's an interesting situation because we have everyone has home tests and they have varying sensitivities and specificities and schools and daycares. I mean, everyone's very worried. And so you have you you have screening and testing like you've never had before. Asymptomatic kids pooling saliva, one test positive. We're going to close the school. You can have, you know. And I guess I wonder how you think about this. Um, 
it's hard to keep your finger on where things are because it keeps changing. Right. Absolutely. And, 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 and Benet, you're, you're taking me outside of my lane. Okay. Um, so I'm not thinking a lot okay. about COVID uh, testing, um, but, but it, it certainly brings up a whole bunch of uh, issues for sure. Um, I, I think the one thing, you know, people all, I mean, occasionally I've been asked, you know, well, what does this say, you know, what does cancer screening tell you about COVID testing yes. and so forth? And, and, and my, 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 my sense is, wow, these are really different things. <laughs> I mean, in one day, hand, you're talking about an infectious disease, and the other hand, you're talking about a chronic disease. And I think the, the, the one thing I always need to remind people is my risk of getting cancer doesn't influence your risk Correct. of getting cancer. I think that's true. And, and, and when you're an infectious disease, you're in a kind of a different world and, and a different set of uh, conditions. And, and I, ha- I, I, I want to be honest, I haven't taken the time to think okay. about it the yeah. way I've taken the time to think about cancer screening. Well, I look forward to maybe when this all over, you know, you do, because I'd be very curious. <laughs> um, I think I absolutely agree with you. I mean, it has that, that dimension that this doesn't that externality. have. That externality. But yeah. I do think that the things it has similar are, you know, we look never, harder, you find more. You look harder, yeah, you find absolutely. more. And yeah. we don't, and, and we've never. In the typical case is less, yes. less sick. Yes. And we never looked this hard in 1990. Imagine we looked this hard for whatever the strain of flu was in 1990. Who knows what we would oh have found? If you imagine knows? we yeah. were testing for flu every every winter. Every winter, yeah. yeah. And so everybody let's co- every week. Yeah. Let's come back to your um your wheelhouse, liquid biopsy. Okay, we'll come back to melanoma. Yeah. Or you want to do melanoma a little more? Yeah. Well, I, I, yeah, I, yeah, I go do on. want to do yeah. one, and I don't yeah. know if you... Uh, yeah, the, I haven't watched the video by Robert. Do you post yeah. any links? Uh, I'll post links. Yeah, yeah, I'll post. Because I do want to say... That just two or three days ago, I was sent a video of a talk uh, given by Robert Swirlick, mm-hmm. a dermatologist uh, now at Emory, um, and may have been at Emory at that time, um, at the Mayo Clinic mm-hmm. in, in 1995, April mm-hmm. 21st, 1995. The only reason I can remember the date is it's my 40th birthday, which was kind <laughs> of interesting to be sent a talk given on my 40th birthday everybody uh-huh. in your audience should now write down that date so they... <laughs> send your presents no no don't send presents no. just send money but um <laughs> yeah sorry <laughs> but it, it was a great talk uh-huh. um and it, it of course it was a rude reminder that i've never had an original idea in my life i mean he, he went through the, the incidence in mortality, he went through all the, early, you know, all the increase in incidence was early stage, thin melanomas, he went through the Livermore story. Do you know the Livermore story? No, tell me. Do you know where Lawrence Livermore Labs are? Yes, not too far from here. Right across yeah, the bay. The bay from, yeah. Right. Well, so in the 1970s, and you know what they do, like they got radiation, High energy physics and stuff. Yeah, and right. Department of Energy, it's like the, you know, all sorts of scary stuff. <laughs> Well, they had a big melanoma epidemic in the 70s. And everybody was worried, like, oh, my God, the lab, something's going wrong. You know, like, and, and, and the lab gets involved and starts having melanoma screening of their uh, employees and, and the epidemic gets worse. And, and, and then someone realizes, wait a minute, we have another lab just like Livermore. It's in New Mexico. It's Los Alamos. Mm, right. But Same there's kinds none of, of that there. Right. There's right. none of that. Well, wait a second. What's going on? We've got this epidemic in Livermore. We don't have. And, and, and then they, they realize it's all early stage disease. 
they, they have three, fourfold rates relative to other people in the area. It happens in family members of employees, but it doesn't seem to matter how long the employees have worked there. It doesn't seem to have any relationship to their exposure to the lab. And then they realize it's really an epidemic of diagnosis. That what probably happened, yeah, mm -hmm. that, 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 that one or two patients really did develop and were found to have a bad melanoma. Everybody got nervous. And um, in fact, the lab itself got involved in promoting early detection campaigns wow. and uh, screening people. And all of a sudden you had a melanoma outbreak that actually lasts into the next generation because these people are so nervous about it. They're right. getting more so, surveillance. That's fascinating. I mean, and it's also, it's similar and to- And he told that story yeah. in 1995 uh, and, and I included it in my book in 2000. It's a, it's a you know, sort of a powerful example of, of um, how, how physicians or how the system can uh, create an epidemic. And it's similar to comparisons of like, isn't there a classic comparison of Seattle to New Haven in prostate cancer? And it was just like same types of people, but the incidence was massively increased in the East Coast. Where yeah. I think or, it was, oh, no, it was just I Seattle, think right. It. Seattle was the ones that loved to screen, right? Yeah. 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 Very similar. Um, mm. Talk a little bit about, I mean, you know, obviously there's always pushback when you publish these articles. Um, and... Um, and I think the reason there's a pushback is that the person doing it doesn't see what you're seeing. You know, mm -hmm. they, they see that the doctor who goes in every, I mean, the, the doctor who decided to be a doctor and melanoma doctor is not a bad person. They're a good person. They want yes. it. They're a smart person. They wanted to help people. And then they, they've definitely seen the horrors of melanoma. They've seen a few people die. Absolutely. They've seen the worst. They've seen the worst. Untimely ages. 30-year-old die. Breaks your heart. And then you start to cut this out and you see... You, you save lives, you cut it out and then it goes away and the person doesn't die. And right. you saw the person die. And, and it's so easy, I think, to, to become seduced by that. And, 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 um, you know, your thoughts on that, the seduction of the individual practitioner. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it, the misleading feedback from early detection is unbelievably powerful at every level, at the patient level, at the societal level, and at the physician level. And since you first wanted to talk about the physician, let's just right. talk about the physician yeah. level. It's right, that physicians who are expert in the field think about the bad case. They've seen the bad cases, and there's no doubt there are bad cases of cancer. No one questions that. And their natural desire is to not see that, right? And that's good. And so, so they want to find it early and they look early, they find it early and those patients do good. That is just really powerful feedback. And then all of a sudden at the same time, when they look earlier, they find more cases and, 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 and that at some level always feels good to us. We find an early case of cancer. We feel good about that. Right. And they all do well. And so it becomes very positive, uh, a cycle of wanting to find more of that. Um, and that's really misleading. And it, it encourages you to, to find a whole new population of patients, um, many of whom 
can't be helped because they were never going to experience the problem, some of whom you may find early, but they're going to go on to late stage disease anyway, right. or some of whom will be every bit as uh, treatable um, late as they would have later when they produce symptoms and then they uh, were, then they, you know, will be every bit as treatable as they would be early. Right. Let's let's take it like a, a hypothetical and walk me through your thinking. Let's say we took everything you know now and we teleport you back and you're that 40-year-old man in 1995. And let's say uh, your back probably feels better and, you know. You know you've, My you've, back <laughs> is good, man. Oh, your don't, back is don't good? Don't raise a back <laughs> issue. My back is good. Well, I had a friend who did spine surgery for many years and he said, he said you know, um, after you do spine surgery for a few years, your back will never hurt again. And so I was like, okay, interesting. <laughs> You'll never, never hurt again. Okay, um, yeah, I get so, it. Yeah. So, uh, so let's say you're back in 1995. Um, uh, uh, you're, you're 40. You're, um, you have an unlimited budget, and you know what you know now. And let's say you actually get all the dermatologists to consent, and you're going to run a randomized control trial of, um, of, of the annual checkup, the screen, the skin, sc- the skin, skin check. Skin exam. Yeah. yeah. So I wonder if you might walk, like, just talk about, like, because this is the, this will actually apply to the liquid biopsy question. Um, you know, how would the study look like? Mm-hmm. I suspect one arm is going to find six times as much disease as the other arm, right? That's going to yeah. at least probably at least. more. Yeah, probably and then what? More. And what's your primary endpoint of this study? How long well, are you going to fall? Fo- yeah, your so let's primary talk about yeah. endpoint in a in a trial of melanoma screening will be melanoma mortality, um, and I, I I fully expect actually to see no difference. Um, okay. Uh, but but that would be the trial design, and it would have to be pretty big because yeah. uh, melanoma, although it, it, it definitely is a cause of cancer death, it's down there on the list. Um, and so it would have to be a really big trial. Um, I have no question about the effect on incidence. It would be dramatic, and, you know, at least sixfold. It might be tenfold. So you might have to do, you know, million people getting yearly skin checks one arm versus million people um, seeing the doctor, their just routine exam, listen to the heart and lungs, but no skin check. Um, you might expect that the arm that gets skin checks will have tenfold the amount of melanoma diagnoses. They'll Absolutely. have they'll have hundreds more, thousands more. Um, their five year mo- survival most. will be a hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, among That's those, another yeah. really yeah. misleading. Yeah. Yeah. So talk about yeah. that. So what, five yep. years about you know because you've diagnosed so many extra cases you inflated both the numerator and the denominator of the survival statistics with patients that were never going to die of their disease, so five year survival will go through the roof. So like one arm will have ten melanoma patients and five year survival will be like sixty percent. The other arm will have ten thousand melanoma patients and five years will be ninety nine point nine percent or something like that. Yeah, that's but, a little bit exaggerated. But, yeah. but, but you got the general drift. Yeah. Yes. And and. And, and I guess, I mean, I think it's a useful thought exercise in a few ways. One, as you start to but think by the about way, it, yeah. it, it. And if I just want one yeah. other thing, forget the just the number of melanoma cases. Imagine the number of biopsies. The number That's of right. biopsies yes. will be a thousandfold higher. Yeah. And the number of Mohs surgeries. And of the biopsies, some fraction will get sentinel node biopsies and get node dissections, and right. particularly in those years. And and some people will get lymphedema of the hand because you did yeah. cut out all the nodes in the arm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or lymphedema in, in the foot because you cut out all the nodes in the leg. Um, so some people may and, even and, be and, harmed. And some, 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 some will have difficulty getting health insurance. Uh, yeah, you know, some pre-existing will, condition. Yeah, and life insurance and so forth. Yeah. Would it be... 
I mean, you know, as I imagine this experiment, would it be fair to say that not only you believe it wouldn't reduce mortality, but you also believe the arm that does it will have a net health decrement? They'll be worse off for doing it. I'm afraid that's probably what I believe. Yeah. Um, I might be wrong, but I think that the, the net effect will be harm. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember you, you remember there was a, a flurry of um, interest in total body CT. Yeah, of course. Screen, right. You know, that was in the early 2000s. And, and I actually um, got close to uh, to, to uh, trying to pitch a trial to the VA of, of total body CT. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and, and then I realized you're really supposed to have equanimity about the outcome. Yes. And I, I didn't have any equity. I thought, oh, my God, you know, th- th- this this would lead to a whole lot more surgery and people would be hurt. Yeah. Um, and the melanoma one, it's, it, it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, luckily, uh, the, the, uh, intervention for the cancer is relatively minor compared Correct. to prostate, breast and God lung, you know? Um, so, uh, I, I don't want to overstate the harm, but I think the net effect just makes people more worried and it costs money and it, uh, and, and increasingly this is coming out of patients' pockets. Um, you know, it, it adds a lot of hassle factors going back and forth and making appointments and you're in surveillance loops and you're, you're, you're worried about the next mole. Um, and, and yet I want to come back to, you know, we're getting better at treating the advanced disease right. and, and the better we get at treating the clinically evident disease is less important um, a case you can even make for early detection. Yeah, you know, I guess I agree with everything you said. And I also come back to, I sometimes wonder what it will look like 100 years from now, 1000 years from now, when people look back on this time. And I think they'll look back on it with sort of sort of a shocked fit, like, you know, how we look back on people came before us and like, how could mm-hmm. they ever not have known? And they'll look back on it and say, you know, it's an operation that utilized hundred billion, you know, tens of billions of dollars globally. Right. It employed hundreds of people, thousands of people. Mm-hmm. Um, right. It was prestigious work. It was thought to help. And if anything, it just swallowed societal resources and made people worse off. How could they right. have done it? You know, right. let's turn to liquid biopsy because I think this is so interesting. So, I mean, just to give leaders a little bit of primer, um, a number of companies, particularly this one company, Grail, they're pursuing a liquid biopsy. And basically, they draw your blood and they look for proteins and genes that they think are abnormal in cancer. And um, in some fraction, it flags and it says, you got a problem here. You might, got it. You might have a cancer. Then there's another part that I always struggle with. It's that, you know, telling someone they might have a cancer in the body, it's not terrific if you can't tell them where it's at. So you got to pinpoint right. it. So right. once you once you think you find something, you got to scan them. And then sometimes it might not show up on the scan. So you got to scan them again, scan them again, mm-hmm. scan them again. And then you might eventually see something that looks like you're going to pursue it. You got to cut it out or biopsy it. It might not be the thing that's secreting the thing you're catching in the blood. Right. Um, so I wonder if you might talk through Grail uh, and yeah, I guess how you think about this and and where we are with it, and UK is of course okay. ahead, of, ahead of us. Yeah, yeah. So so uh, first, the the term liquid biopsy is is a pretty broad uh, term. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's specify it a little bit. I I, I, I think of it as as specifically going uh, for uh, so-called tumor DNA, cell-free mm-hmm. tumor DNA. And of course, we all have DNA in our blood. Um, and um, the question is, uh, you know, it, what what portion of that, you know, separating the normal from, 
from from the abnormal and 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 what does that mean um and to be fair some of the tests are actually throwing in along with the cell-free dna um oldies but goodies oh. know, like cea and uh, alpha theta protein and yeah. ca19 you know it's like are you kidding me? You know, <laughs> things we've already yeah. sort of said, you know, this, yeah. this, this really, but they really, it's a, a incredible battery of tests. Think of it as a smack 20 on steroids, you mm. know, looking for things to be wrong. So obviously that, that always makes me a little nervous uh, from the get go. Um, that said, let's be clear that the screening setting is one application of it. The very reasonable kind of application is for people with established cancer. It's a diagnostic <clears throat> test. It's a way to get some sense of tumor activity, maybe some way to guide therapy. And it is FDA approved in a number of settings. And I, I think it's entirely possible this becomes quite a useful way you know, to, to gauge um, uh, the uh, response to disease. therapy yeah. mm -hmm. uh, and to uh, 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 maybe select uh, treatment as different clones arise and, and so forth and a relatively non-invasive way. So I, I want to, you know, I think sometimes I get tagged as, oh, you know, some Luddite from Vermont that you, know, you can't, can't even turn on a Zoom camera. Well, I can do that. You know, I, and technology has some real use. And this may be uh, very useful in patients with bad cancers. Uh, so I want to be clear of that. But the money's in screening, mm -hmm. right? The, the, everybody wants to produce screening tests because the markets are huge. Because that's, you know, the, Grail would like to sell their test to uh, Medicare bennies, um, you know, to be used every year. That's a big market. That's a huge market. And, and that is a bunch of people where it's hard to make well people better, right? But it isn't hard to make them get a, more involved in medical care and have a lot more downstream events. So that's the, you know, that's what I worry about whenever a, a screening test like this comes up. And, um, you know, the first thing I always see these, and I think that's absolutely right. I mean, the first thing these companies do is they, they always take some set of, you know, 25% healthy people, 75% known cancer, and then they apply. Usually it's, it's, it, it, it's advanced. people with really bad cancer Correct. and medical students. <laughs> and that's important to say. It, it's important to say. You're right. It's 25% the healthiest of the healthy medical right. students right. and 75% people with rip-roaring metastatic cancer. The TNF alpha is pumping in their veins. Right. They're getting they're getting Trousseau's, Trousseau phenomenon thrombosis. And we distinguish between these two. Yes, we can. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 so I was always taught. But the more I think about it, I don't know. I mean, I was always taught sensitivity and specificity are characteristics of tests, mm -hmm. and 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 a post-test probability um, is a characteristic of test plus population. Mm -hmm. And I was always taught that you could validate sensitivity and specificity in these extremely skewed cohorts and apply mm -hmm. it to regular people. But the more I think about it, I feel like you know 
it's not always true because yeah the, I, I, yeah. i'm really glad you brought this yeah. up Vinay. and and i think you and i probably have done the 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 same uh lecture uh many times the two by two table right, right? and we're, we're, we're all we get everybody into the two by two table and i think there's a lot of utility in not so much the calculation of posterior probabilities because no one knows the pretest exactly, but learning some of the qualitative insights is really important. And, and so the two by two table is a useful way to start with medical students. But let's be clear. The idea there are only two columns is a joke, right? You know, the, the, the people who are well and there are people who are sick. Well, there's a lot in between and it's the in between that makes it really complicated. And in some ways, I think our binary view of the world has left us, um, you know, is an oversimplified one and have left left us not really, you know, to be distracted by things. Um, And and, and one is we always want to be sensitive. So, so, you know, we want to catch catch all the disease. Well, of course, whenever you do that, the basic lesson from the two by two table is you you lose some specificity and you start telling other. But but it doesn't tell you anything about overdiagnosis because that's not in the two by two table because we have these columns. Either you have disease, you don't. And, and, and be clear, false positive is not overdiagnosis. Yeah, these are totally different Correct. things. Let's just yes. remember, a false yes. positive person is told they don't have cancer, the test was wrong. Right. Or sometimes yes. people are told something's wrong with you, you're at high risk because <laughs> of this. Yeah. You know, but, That's a way of sugarcoating the false but, positive. But, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but, 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 but overdiagnosis is totally different. You're told you have cancer and you're now you're being treated for cancer. Mm-hmm. And that gives you credit on the sensitivity side. Well, that's right. not. So we're, we're always thought, oh, geez, of course we want to maximize sensitivity. No, I, I don't want to maximize sensitivity. And coming back to liquid biopsies for a second, and this is, I think this is interesting. The early work with, with Grail um, shows that it's actually not very sensitive to for early, early stage, stage tumors, yeah. early stage breast and prostate cancer. Well, I say that's a good thing, <laughs> right? You know, yes. it isn't fine. And by the way, that sort of passes the laugh test early stage breast and prostate. It's not secreting a lot of stuff systemically. It's not putting a lot of cell that, you know, okay, the world makes sense. You know, that's a good thing. And in fact, even some of the Grail um, authors have touted that, that that one thing this test might offer is less overdiagnosis (laughs) of these two cancers, which I think would be a good thing, except of course, as grail suggests and other uh uh, liquid biopsy companies suggest they're going to suggest that you continue all your conventional screening so um but but your point is really terrific which is that um i mean uh, obviously that this binary world is wrong that's a terrific point also that you know, you all, you, you, you've popularized second, as much I as... I want to keep score. How many terrific points do I have? I uh, many, gonna... five, sorry, six. Sorry. <laughs> I'm just scoring it for myself. <laughs> we got to have fun these days of Zoom. There's not, nothing else to get, uh, help us. Okay. So, um, you know, you popularize the idea of turtles, rabbits, and birds. And birds are the cancers you find, but they've already metastasized. So finding them probably is going to subject you to local treatments, but maybe you don't avert your final fate. 
uh, turtles are, of course, they're never going to leave the barnyard. They're just going to stay there. And that's partly what they're finding with melanoma. Rabbits are what you want. Rabbits are the ones that were going to spread, but you're interdicting on them before they spread. And what they, the test should be looking for is sensitivity for rabbits. Not sensitivity for turtles or birds, right. but we don't know which are rabbits or rabbits. Right. And so we're forever doomed that, um, yeah, we're ever forever doomed. Um, you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Well, the world's a complex place. And, 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 I, and just to finish the two by two table, yeah. it, 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 that sort of denies that complexity. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and you're right. What, what, what we'd like to do in terms of early detection is find those cancers that are ultimately going to matter. Uh, at, at some point where, and this is important, it's not just enough to find bad cancers early. First, in addition, early treatment has to confer some benefit over later treatment or else you haven't gained anything. All right. you've done is started a, a, a therapy earlier and put people in the therapy early, which arguably, if they don't live longer, is a harm, right? right. Because they're otherwise asymptomatic and they're experiencing now uh, cancer uh, therapy, which you know you can speak to better than I, but it's hard on people. Still fair comment? Still fair comment, yeah. yeah. So um, th 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 that's the challenge. It's not just finding bad cancers earlier. You gotta find bad cancers earlier and earlier treatment has to confer an advantage over later treatment. And that can't be measured in terms of survival because that's biased right off the, the get-go because you started the clock earlier. It's got to so be measured in terms of mortality. Let's talk about your really elegant paper in the Journal of Medical Screening, which was on all-cause mortality as a primary endpoint for GRAIL multi-cancer screening trial. And basically what, what you and your colleagues talk about is um, they are currently running sort of a very simple 70,000, 70,000 randomized trial in the United Kingdom of this blood-based cancer screening test, GRAIL, which has, I think, a valuation of a few billion dollars. You know, it's already highly valued. People that, smell that's outside of my wheelhouse. Okay. I don't know their valuation and I'm not a shareholder. So Okay, yeah. good. Me neither. Me neither. Yeah. Me neither. Um, but in this paper, you talk about, you know, we know cancer is a substantive cause of death. Uh, we're always dueling with the cardiology people. Um, right. You know, we we might lose more disability-adjusted life years because it takes people in their midlife. Um, mm -hmm. But but ultimately, cardiovascular disease and death is a the number one cause of death. Um, but but so since cancer getting is very a, close now, close getting very close. Yeah, you you go by Lawrence Livermore Labs. It's neck and neck. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it depends on depends on the pollute. Okay, uh, no, no, but, no, I'm talking now mortality. Mortality, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, um, and that's because we're getting better at treating cardiovascular disease, so people die of something else. That's right. And, and um, it's because there's less smoking, which, which, yeah. which of course, drops both. Yes. To be, to be, drops to be both, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, drops one faster than the other. Drops cardiovascular disease faster than faster. You know, when you quit. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, so in this paper you talk about, they have enough people doing this that you could actually just see do they live longer from doing this? Yeah. I wonder to talk you through do, this. Do, yeah, I, I think this is really important. I'm, as you know, but maybe your your audience doesn't, I've long argued that, you know, what patients really care about, uh, what they hear when they hear the word saves lives is is the risk of death will fall. Um, and um, the only way to really show that is change the death rate, the all-cause death rate. Um, and that does take really big trials when you're dealing with a very rare cause of death. 
But once you start advertising that you're screening for 50 cancers, you're essentially screening for all. And cancer mortality um, is about a third of all cause mortality. That you ought to be able to see. Yeah. And I think that's and one important. of the things and, I've been really yeah. worried about all along is that one of the things that happens with screening is that you may artifactually be able to lower one cause, but then inadvertently raise another cause, uh, the so-called off-target deaths. Um, or that there's something about getting cancer, this is so-called aging soma process that is a reflection of the host that, that 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 the host is now less healthy in general and is more uh, uh, at risk for all sorts of uh, kinds of death you know that the soma is aging and um, is, is at risk for uh, any any number of causes of death and so the, the trial that I always, come back to that because I was just so struck by it um, was a trial that really got us to screen for colon cancer, which was the Minnesota colon, mm -hmm. colon uh, cancer project mm -hmm. uh, in the eighties, uh, which randomized people to um, FOBT. Uh, FOBT testing versus not, and had a pretty powerful result mm -hmm. of one third reduction in colorectal cancer mortality at uh, 15 years. And, um, it was, uh, you know, really the reason colon cancer screening really starts in this country. And, you know, about 10 years ago, they did a 30-year follow-up. And again, you still had uh, 30 years um, after the trial, you had a 33% a, a reduction uh, uh, in colon, colon cancer mortality. Mm -hmm. The cumulative risk of dying from colon cancer in the control group was 3%. Mm -hmm. And in the intervention group, it was 2%. That's your 33% uh, reduction from 3 to 2%. But it was real. There's no question it was real. But in the same article, the figure two, they showed the all-cause mortality right. curves. And you could not distinguish the two. They're just right on top of each other. You know, at, at 30 years, 71% of the patients were dead in both groups. And I think sometimes, yeah, people say, people say, well, you got to die eventually, but you're making a different point. No, it's not about, it's not the final death count. It's along the way at every moment in time, the Kaplan-Meier curves are indistinguishable, meaning, indistinguishable. meaning that you're not, you're not saving a colon cancer death, dying of heart disease 10 years later, or the curves would split, right. you know? Right. So it, it's not, it is that there is something going on. It's not budging the all-cause mortality. It's not budging the all-cause mortality. And so whether it's aging soma or right. off-target deaths that you're missing, um, to me, it's an important question, particularly if we're going to sell these things as right. saving, saving lives. Right. And by now, the way, I think medicine can save lives. I want to be real clear about yeah. that. You know, we do good things for people who are acutely ill or injured. If Absolutely. you come, if you had a STEMI right now, stenting you open, giving you Plavix, Absolutely. aspirin, maybe 15 percentage point increase in mortality in 20 days, you know, yeah. massive, massive, massive. Huge. massive. Huge, huge. So, so, so doctors do good things. Yes, but when we get involved with the well, it becomes a whole lot less clear. So, my argument with liquid biopsy, because this is a big, great, Grail's yeah. suggesting nine nine hundred and forty nine dollars a test wow. every year. 
<laughs> that's a lot of money, right? Yeah, For yeah. every Medicare beneficiary. Yeah. That's real money. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, make sure we talk about Congress before we yes, leave let's this, talk about there's that, a yeah. bill here. But yeah. My argument is pretty simple. It's, it's a, that's a big deal. And by the way, that's just for the test. It doesn't say anything about downstream testing and what, what happens when we do this. I think this is the time we ought to know. You, you've randomized 140,000 people. 70,000 are going to get the test annually. 70,000 are not. Primary outcome, it ought to be all-cause mortality. Right. I think that is that is easy. Before we talk about the Congress and the bill, I want to ask you a tough question, which is, what is cancer? <laughs> yeah. God, you're asking, an oncologist is asking a general internist. I'd like the audience to, <laughs> to, to, to yeah. think about that for a second. I don't know. I, I, I'm the primary care doc. I'm going to ask an oncologist. What would you say? Okay, so I guess what I would say is cancer is a condition that results in, I think the first thing to put in there is what people think, which is that something bad will happen to me. So it, it makes you feel bad or kills you. That's number one. It's a condition that makes you feel bad or kills you. Number two, often characterized by growth Cellular of- Cellular disarray. Yeah, yeah. Growth of slightly abnormal cells. And I think the other thing we forget is like the cancer and ourselves, we're so close. We, we look like you and your twin brother, you know, and, and that's also why killing it is so hard because it's so close to us. It's not like infectious disease. It's okay. Right. So, and then three in the setting of, I think we forget, there's all these things we don't know in the setting of immune dysregulation. Maybe my immunity is not good or my body is old or frail or vulnerable. Right. And it's all those things. And by that definition, I think papillary thyroid cancer, it's not mm -hmm. cancer. I mean, it histopathologically is cancer, but it's not going to cause you harm, you know, and all these things. So I wonder how, well, yeah. I, I, I think the patient definition is, of course, the one um, yeah. I care most about. And what most patients hear and what the dictionary uh, says is, you know, it, 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 it's an uncontrolled tumor, the natural course of which is to lead to death. I mean, that's. I think that's what most people have in their mind. That's right. at least one dictionary definition. Um, and of course, um, we're changing that definition uh, all the time in practice, but, but that is certainly what people hear and, you know, is, is the disease we want to deal with. Yeah. And I think, I don't know, I see these articles called the hallmarks of cancer, you know, the classic, and it's mm -hmm. all about like, what are all the molecular things that go wrong in cancer? Right. But I think one of the problems is they don't even start with the definition, like what yeah. should actually be in this bucket and not. Right. And and what cancer means to us is, you know, anything the pathologist tells you is cancer, right. whether or not the person lives a long and happy life or is right. dead next week, you know, that's right. all, you know, and, and that's, right. and it's changing every year because they're ch constantly right. changing the rules. Right. Um, and that's not a great definition. Um, so let's talk about the, the Medicare. You know, this concerns me, I think, a lot, and you've written about it with uh, Barry Kramer. Um, that uh, in the proper world, you would, do, you would generate evidence, the evidence would persuade doctors, and the doctors mm -hmm. and patients would seek reimbursement for that based on evidence. In a crazy world, you generate hype, and then you get the politicians to grant your funding, and then you never generate evidence, and then you bamboozle doctors later. And that's the world we're living in. So yeah, what's yeah. going on with this test? Yeah, yeah well, I, 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 I'm not sure that would have been my one, one summary, but it's pretty <laughs> adequate. Um, <laughs> 
So just so your listeners know, there is a bill now in both the House and the Senate called, I believe it's the Medicare Early Detection Act, um, uh, multiple cancer early detection acts. Mm. Do you have it right there in front of you? Yeah, I'll pull it up. The Medicare Multi-Cancer Early Detection Screening Coverage Act of 2021. Okay, a bipartisan. So didn't, didn't quite get. Yeah, and, and by the way, um, I hope you put a link to that yes. bill so people can read, or a link to my piece, which has a link to the bill. Sure. It's bipartisan, um, and uh, you've got it right in front of you. So you tell me, what is it? It's about uh, 100 plus House members. And- 144 House of Reps and 30 co-sponsors in the Senate. Yes. Right. And, and I just want to say from the start, you know, when I hear bipartisan, I feel good all over. Like, I mean, that's great. <laughs> and then it has to be, what do they agree about is about another screening test. It's like, oh, come on. But what they're, what it's doing is it's, it's really saying that um, Medicare should cover these tests. Mm. Now, it's unbelievable to me that they would do this first for us, you know, just getting involved in any particular aspect <laughs> of, of medical practice yeah. and saying Medicare should cover it right off the bat. That that has me a little. Should 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 the legislature really be making decisions about individual tests or individual treatments or any you know? But anyway, that it it, it so it really mandates coverage quote pending FDA approval which makes you wonder, why would you mandate coverage mm-hmm. pending FDA approval? Are you trying to influence FDA approval? I mean, what, why would you tie up the Senate, you know, before right. FDA's approved something? You'd never do that for a drug. Right. Um, and um, it's, uh, you know, it just looks like uh, Congress uh, is uh, being heavily lobbied and, um, you know, the, these companies are, are trying to make sure they, they can garnish Medicare resources before not only has it ever been approved, but before we really know whether it works. Part of me wonders whether this is a way to bypass the U.S. Preventative Health Services Task right. Force and having a real review of this thing. Of course, there's right. nothing to review right now. It would be an eye for sure, uh, insufficient evidence. Um but to me, that's very concerning. Uh, it, it just speaks to, um, you know, the the very strong financial interest in making this a screening test um, is making this whole. And there are a number of companies. This is not just yes. Grail. This yes. is multiple companies. Yeah. They're all um, pursuing who would it. love to have sort of blanket coverage of uh, multi-cancer screening. One thing they always say that irritates me is that they make the argument, which is true, there are severe racial and socioeconomic disparities in outcomes by cancer. Ergo, you should use our test. But what always bothers me is we do not know your test may even worsen those outcomes because it may find more overdiagnosed cancers in racial and socioeconomically uh, disadvantaged people. I think the real problem is this is a huge distraction. If yes. you really care about health disparities, yes. first, stop worrying about Medicare beneficiaries and start uh-huh. worrying about people with long life expectancies, the young. 
children, young adults. Correct. You know, that's the first thing. And stop thinking about medical care and start thinking about more basic social determinants of health. Think about housing, jobs, you know, it's so schools. basic. Yeah. And, and schools. Nutrition. Exactly. Yeah, right. Don't, don't be, don't, don't think you're going to, going to biopsy your way out of health disparities. That's, that's crazy, Bill. Really? I, I find it the most disingenuous. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really, uh, that just gets me going. (laughs) It's just crazy to, you know, if people who really care about health disparities should be focused on young people and they should be focused on the poor and, and they shouldn't be thinking about health care as a way to get out of it. I think that's well said. Um, I want to give you the closing thoughts, but I think these have been, you know, throughout the pandemic, you've kept yourself busy, um, uh, focused on these important issues in cancer screening. I worry a little bit about Grail. I worry that they are um, going to sneak up on us. Yeah. And, um, and um, oh, I meant to ask you, the USPSTF um, and, task force. And, are we going to get to talk about Taiwan? Okay, let's talk about Taiwan. Yes. Okay. But last question, USPSTF, and then we'll do Taiwan, and then we'll, we'll wrap okay, up. Okay. okay. So the USPSTF, the one thing I noticed is they changed the colon cancer screening to 45. And from 45 mm-hmm. to 50, they have had no randomized data. They have a model. Right. And I am a little nervous about this change. I wonder if you might talk about it. Well, I, I, this is a perfect segue. And I'm a little bit nervous about them expanding uh, lung cancer screening to a, a broader group. Let's talk about that. Yeah. So, so yeah, yeah, they're, they're, they're certainly under pressures, um, yes. you know, where, where, where disease is that, that they ought to be screening for. Um, and um, so I have an analogous, I, I know about the uh, colon cancer expansion, and there's also been an expansion in lung cancer screening. And I think they, they are both uh, concerning. So let's talk about the uh, lung cancer screening. Yeah, uh, I, trials in smokers extrapolated to to the general population and this is this is really happening throughout east asia but uh we we have an article in uh, taking place in taiwan mm-hmm. um where it's really remarkable um that they're really being uh the the, the promotional material features women and features actually quite young women and 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 i'm very uh pleased that jam internal medicine was willing to print some of those uh advert they're really not advertisements they're sort of news stories Mm. um and they feature young women going into scanners for lung cancer screening one thing to know about taiwanese women not like american women is they've really never smoked they they, you know less than five percent smoking prevalence uh since um 1980 so this has been going on for about 15 years now and um early stage lung cancer is skyrocketing in uh, taiwanese women it's up six it's also up sixfold um no change in late stage disease in taiwanese women and and no change in mortality that looks like straight on screening effect and it looks virtually all overdiagnosis that you're finding a whole new group of biologically indolent lesions in non-smoking females they're operated on <clears throat> they're largely getting video assisted the thoracotomies um and it is um 
you know, I think the first example of sort of population based overdiagnosis of lung cancer. Right. Now, by the way, it's been seen in the trials. Right. Um, and it, 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 in fact, the trials worked very, very hard to limit the problem right. of overdiagnosis. Right. They By knew being it was selective. a problem. Right. The pulmonologists yeah. have always been sensitive to this problem. And they specifically had growth protocols. Right. So they'd say, you know, if we saw a small lesion that might be worrisome for cancer, what we're going to do is we're going to repeat a scan in three or six months and see if it grows. I think that was a huge advance. That was a huge advance because now you're getting some information that the pathologist can't tell you, the molecular people can't tell you. Mm -hmm. It's just bread and butter. Time, time, the diagnostic value of time. Is this thing growing? Really important information. But that may not happen in the wild west of actual medical care. And right. it certainly didn't happen in Taiwan. That's why there are all these extra cases being found. They're being operated on. And to me, <laughs> the, the, the uh, unbelievable finality of this story is that Taiwanese women now have the highest lung cancer survival wow. rate in the world. Of course, because they found so much. Because you know, they found, and you, and they're the whole, the whole story is there. All that misleading feedback. You come back with this incredible five-year survival rate. You have survivors who believe their 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 uh, life has been saved. Uh, they become very strong proponents of the test, and that's what we're up against. It's a, that misleading in the financial world is one issue. But the misleading feedback is, is I'd say, even a bigger problem. You know, I'm still like on the first bus stop on this lung cancer thing because here's where I, here's where I got off the bus. You know, oh, in, the ori- in the original NLST trial, you know, they have a reduction in lung cancer-specific death, and they said they had an overall mortality reduction. But a few years later, Paul Pinsky reanalyzed the data, and the overall mortality is gone. Yeah. And then they had the Nelson trial, which has a lung cancer-specific reduction entirely offset by death from other cancers. Yeah, yeah. From other can- yeah, and yeah. so totally null. And then I also think about like the interaction clinically. I have so many people, or I did in my, I took over somebody's lung cancer practice a few years ago and I ran it for a few years. Um, like the type of person who's getting subject to this stuff. And it's often people who have heavy pack gear smoking histories who have a often a different philosophy on life. Like, you know, that veteran's philosophy, which is that, yeah. you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, doc. Right. And, right. you know, I, I lived hard and I enjoy life and I enjoy a cigarette and, you know, and, and and they worked hard, and you know some of these people are old right. people, and 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 they've and some people have like two hundred pack year history. You scan their lungs, mm-hmm. you find million things that we're following. Um, right. I've seen people quote unquote cured of small cell lung cancer, which never happened before, but only because you found something you never would have found before. Um, right. And then they get the repeat cuts and cut, you know, wedge resection, wedge resection, SBRT, wedge resection, chemo, and then mm-hmm. adjuvant chemo a second time. There's no randomized data I'm ever aware of that support. Two cycles of chemo, you know, so we're creating this this huge monster. Everyone's involved in it. You know, every um, university is getting their lung cancer screening clinic and everyone's getting rich right. off of it. And so I guess, and now, you know, it's extrapolating it to young, healthy Asian women who suffer from yeah. a very unique, that's crazy. Um, right. But it's really the, the medicalization of the people who like least wanted to go to the doctor right. troubles me. Well, I think you got two different I- issues there. Yeah. Uh, the, the, uh, I'll just separate for a yes. second. L- let me just say at the outset, as a screening guy, th- thinking about screening, I can't imagine a better set of conditions for screening than lung cancer. Sure. Right? 
I mean, it, it is by far and away um, the most common cause of cancer death in this country, m- more than the next three combined. Yeah. Um, it, 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 our, our treatment of advanced disease is pathetic. Right. Is that still fair? Yes, no, I think so, Maybe despite some small better, small but changes, but pretty not, but not terrific. Yeah. yeah. And a high-risk group is really easy to identify. It doesn't get any better. Right, mm-hmm. it doesn't and it's easy to it's easy to see because the cancer is in a backdrop of empty space. You know, <laughs> that's right. right. Yeah. So, so, so the conditions are as good as it gets. Yeah. Um, and the early X-ray, the chest X-ray trials, they seem to suggest, if anything, have made things worse because right. too many people went into operating. I think the design of the new uh, trials was much better and really broke some new ground because right, right. of the growth protocols. Right. So I want to make sure I compliment uh, the the the, um, the pulmonology community, the people that are running those trials. Let's be honest. What's really happened since then? Well, it's been very slow to uptake, um, and, and, and I think there's a, a lot of reasons behind that. But one of which is that the, the, the patient population for whom is eligible isn't that interested. Mm. And maybe that's right because there is a lot of extra procedures going on and the false positives and, and, and so forth. Um, but I want to be clear, it doesn't get any better for screening than that. It, right. I, I can't imagine. In Asia, East Asia, you know what what's happening now is is really much more broad based has forgotten anything about the right. level of risk nothing about growth protocols and it just shows you how far wrong you can go and the same thing's happening in china some some chinese hospitals are doing it for their staff they just you know they, they've got the scanners they're just checking uh, people and I think it's just really important that um, we tell people the downsides of screening because I think all the misleading feedback is uh, such it's it's easy to get um, sucked in. You know, that's really well put. And it's a nice way to break it apart. Yeah, because I do yeah. think it, yeah. So um, I'll give you the last thought. The last thought I had for you is, you know, take your uh, suggestions for where to take your many talents to in the future. One I have for you is the handheld ultrasound. These days, everyone's a screener, you know, because so many doctors are walking around with a handheld ultrasound, and I'd love for you to kind of think about that because I think about. Let me just check right yeah. here. Yeah, let me right just here. check. I'm just, just, uh, I'm just. Uh, and and even. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah I yeah. Oh, Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, that thing needs to come out. We call it the South Korea method. Um, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and and also and also to you know to to physical exam they're looking at heart valves and they're finding yeah. things and they're ordering echoes and they're looking at volume status and they're right. practicing different medicine right. and to my knowledge they've never once done a study powered for the clinical endpoint the person feel better as a result of me wandering right. walking around with this wand and right. of course you know who doesn't want to be the cool person carrying it looks cool to have the wand you know i get it i get it yeah. i see it, it looks kind of nice okay and um but um and, and and at some point when this is all over i'm curious uh respiratory virus testing but um okay so okay. i'll give you the i'll give you the last word um you know this is really a fascinating collection of stuff i think furthers our understanding of this slippery concept which is that what's under the microscope isn't what's going to happen isn't destiny and that's an important distinction um what you and, see and, and you know, the other distinction i'd leave your 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 listeners with is, is the distinction between people who come to you because something's mm, wrong right and, and and those that you're actively looking for something wrong that's a really important distinction. 
Sometimes I, I, somebody presents me a case and they go on and on and on about the case. And I ask the question, how did you even find this cancer? And it's like, uh, and, and then it's like, oh, well, they're about to get a, a, another procedure and it was incidentally found. Or yeah. the person's been coughing up blood for two weeks. Right. And that's two, very, very different. Very yeah. different. Yeah. Very different. Dr. Welch, thank you so much for doing hey, this. Pleasure to, to talk see to you. you. Yeah. Stay, stay warm in San Francisco. <laughs> I, I, can I just tell the audience that you were complaining about how cold it is? It is cold. So, <laughs> And I just want the audience to know it's 10 below here in Vermont. So yeah, well, it's you're cool. a weenie. But anyway, it's been, <laughs> it's been great. It's been great. It's been great. Thanks so much for having me and uh, stay well.